0: Danny's career is marked with success not only as an entrepreneur, dating back to his roots as a t-shirt hawker at the University of North Carolina, through his current role as co-founder and co-president at Brandfuel in Raleigh, but also, and I'd say for the sake of today's discussion more importantly, as co-founder of Band Together North Carolina, a 501c3 nonprofit that uses live music as a platform for social change. Band Together, created in response to our national tragedy on 9 11, has to date raised almost $8 million for the Triangle area of North Carolina. Highlighted each year by an annual early summer concert in downtown Raleigh that's welcomed guests such as the London Souls, Ben Folds, the Robert Randolph Family Band, Lyle Lovett, Hollow Notes, and I could go on. But not to be stingy with this philanthropy, Danny is also a member of the PPAI Board of Directors in his spare time. Whew, I could go on. Promo Kitchen co-founder, Best Cohen Humanitarian of the Year award winner, inventor of the swag lottery machine. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, my very good friend. Welcome, Danny.
1: Yeah, thanks. That last part is important. The friendship is key, man. Thanks for road tripping to, uh, to some of those uh, Band Together shows, Roger. Really appreciate that and, and the very, very nice intro.
0: Uh, did you notice that I listed the band together, Acts in the order in which I like them?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't say anything, but uh, I was grinning as you mentioned London Souls first, which no one has probably ever heard of, and uh, Roger and I will tell you to check those guys out. You You will hear of them soon if you have not already. They will melt
0: your face off. And I did want to mention to the listening community, there's a sizable contingent of members of the industry that make the pilgrimage to that event every year, myself included. So... Um, You know, Danny, I'm sure you feel the same way as I. If anybody listening is interested in participating in 2018, really all they got to do is let one of us know, and we'll make sure to get them added to the distribution list once those dates are announced. Right?
1: Yes, yes. There is uh, there's there's power in in community, and it's nice when you see um, folks in the uh, marketing community merge with the philanthropy community uh, because I think philanthropy desperately needs marketing, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Yeah,
0: actually. So you framed it very well, because I would say if if I was saying what I wanted our focus to be, you know, really what I'm what I'm wanting to talk to you about, Danny, is the ways that your philanthropic work has really intertwined, you know, with your professional career and get into the ways that each of those has had a role in the other, both, you know, supporting them, you know, as a business owner. But really, I mean, I think, you know, from knowing you that it's had some benefit to you personally. So, you know, are you good with that kind of as the framework for the topic? Yeah, let's, let's giddy up, Roger. All right, let's get into it, man. So, you know, you and I, while we are many things in our kindred spirits, you know, we're both salespeople at heart. And, you know, selling as a discipline in a lot of ways is different today than it was in the past. But I think the motivation for sales careers mostly hasn't changed. And that really, in many ways, has to do with making a lot of money. And, you know, for those of us who have been in the industry sales for some time you know when you get at certain points in that journey maybe you achieve success that you hadn't anticipated and realize that there's some hollowness to the money that you've made and that perhaps you know once you've scaled that mountaintop and and been uber successful that you realize that maybe it's not quite fulfilling enough and doesn't really give you the meaning that you were hoping for, so you know I, I'm suspecting that there's some folks out there that would fit that category. So, Danny, what advice would you have for them, not only when it comes to making money, but maybe finding meaning as well?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think a lot of people are, are wrestling with. Um, as a quick point, uh, my business partner uh, and good friend of, gosh, over 35 years now, Robert Fiveash, and I have realized that um, we know how to build a business and how to sell this stuff. We're in that, uh, that phase in our life where we're trying to figure out why. And, um, and so I would recommend anybody who is uh, maybe young in business, they figure out the why a little earlier on. Um, it's been sprinkled in our business all along, but we've had the good fortune to be successful and, and uh, be able to sort of shift that gear to the why more uh, in these latter years. But, uh, but can I get a bit morbid right out of the gate, Roger? Can you get it? what? Can I get a bit morbid, a little dark here? Of course. Listen, I, yes. we, we, we
0: explore all edges and nuance of topics, <laughs> so feel free. Okay.
1: All right. So, And I like telling this story because um, this really frames things very nicely. Um, do you know what hospice nurses say is the most common life regret that someone shares on their deathbed? Oh, my gosh. Um, no. Tell me. So the first thing is that people wish they had the courage to live a life true to themselves and not... The life that others expected of them, huh. which I think is is pretty heavy. I mean, we know this, but we don't really live that way. How about the number two regret heard from from a dying person?
0: <clears throat> I wish I would have slept less.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, that, that that is not it. Um, but but I think there's probably some truth in that. Um, the second was I, I wish I didn't work so hard. Oh. Uh, and Yeah. So I think that's connected to people missing out on their kids, youth and their partner's companionship. I think they all regret spending so much time in their lives on the the treadmill of of this work existence. And I know personally, I've been there many times and, and that struggle is, is real. Um, so I think it's not only important, but it's also possible to some degree for everyone to simplify their lifestyle. Um, to do the things that when you look in the mirror you recognize are the most important things to you, you know, like family, uh love, sharing, learning, kindness, uh, giving, and, and what I think social media should really be about in, in its in its most special form is is helping others. Um but I think unfortunately social media is portraying things that are very different. Um, you know, Gordon Gecko, he had it all wrong. You know, greed isn't good good is good and so i I, I get that we all need money and that we need to provide but i just don't think money is enough to bring out someone's very best you know and it's high time we recognize that we don't need massive incomes to find this incredible fulfillment so if you're you're struggling with this i what i like to tell people to do is like try and find purpose in what you do or what you sell every single day um You know, money managers is a good example I like to use. You know, they shouldn't just be trying to get rich. You know, money managers should be in the business of trying to help people, you know, find their dreams for travel, college, retirement, whatever it may be. Um, And so I think we need to approach each day as if there are like tremendous opportunities out there because there are, there really are great people to meet um, and there are companies to help. And I think that sort of goes towards the sales side of things. but not just focusing on selling more foam stress relievers in the shapes of light bulbs, right? Right. Um, we need to do beyond that. Um, and so I know we all agree that if we help others, especially in a business sense, the money actually will follow. Uh, but the question that we need to ask ourselves is: So why aren't we focused on serving as well as selling? So um, if you if your job brings in the big dollars, but you don't have fulfillment. This is going to be a tough one, but go find another job that's fulfilling. <laughs> um, you know, I tell my daughters all the time, I, you know, just like I don't ask them what they want to be when they grow up. I ask them what problem do they want to solve and what makes them happy, what makes them tick, what gets them excited, what makes them passionate. Find that fulfillment and, and it won't be work. You know, we all know this as adults, uh, but we don't make those right decisions um, because if you won't do that, then, you know, you have to find some work balance in your in your work life by finding other ways to actualize more meaning in your day. And so a couple tips would be, um, you know, be a mentor. And this is a shout-out to Promo Kitchen, which you are a big part of. Um, you know, there's a great mentorship program in the industry. Be a mentor. Uh, volunteer with a regional association, which which you have done as well, or PPAI, um, or even just local nonprofits. I think that can provide some balance and it's a great way also to learn new skills and meet fantastic, caring people. So in other words, chase down some balance between that almighty dollar motivation and doing good in this world. Because I think that's where you find the meaning and the purpose we all crave.
0: Chase down the bounce. Yeah. Love it. I'm, yeah, that's – so a couple things. So uh, Simon Sinek is the author. Name of the book is Start mm-hmm. With Why. So I would strongly to reinforce your original point for people who perhaps are a bit earlier in their career seeking uh, a purpose-based career as opposed to just a dollars-based career. Uh, that might offer some opportunity, but you you and I both know, Danny, I mean even in our advanced stages of our careers, that is a journey and we all will take that path, you know, in different ways and on different time. Time frames and some people never really even get there, just in just for one reason or another. But when you look at um, a couple notions, right? So that whole idea of do what you love and you won't work a day in your life. You know, my dad told me that when I was really young, and I struggled for years and years and years with, well, what do I love? And I wasn't able to to draw the line between the things that I loved and the ways that I would be able to work at it until I started becoming a volunteer. So Mm. it wasn't the job that I was doing that earned me a living that necessarily was what I was joyful about. It was what it afforded me in the relationships I was able to build as a volunteer in the industry I was participating in. So, you know, it's, it can be very fulfilling in ways that are far beyond dollars and cents, but you have to start by choosing that path and then just picking something and continuing the journey in much the same way as you and I have. So, you know, and then on the second side of that is when you think consider philanthropy, titans of industry have also been the biggest givers. And that oftentimes had to do with the fact that they have the most money. But what I think I've learned and I've watched you is even when you don't have a lot of money, that doesn't mean that you can't still participate and philanthropy doesn't necessarily have to equate always to dollars and cents. It can be an investment in time and talent as well.
1: Amen. Yeah, I think there's there's um, we talk about in the in the philanthropy world and the, the nonprofit world. I'd like to be deeply invested in. Um, we talk about uh, time, treasure, and talent. Also, uh, work, wealth, wisdom. And, uh, and and it doesn't have to be all about capital investment, donating um, cash. I mean, it really can be about using your talents, can be about using your time. It should be about that. I think uh, you know, people who write a check sometimes don't get to experience the joy of being on the you know ground floor of working with the child, uh, or, or or working in a soup kitchen or whatever, and I think those experiences are the experiences that bring joy in life. And you cannot put a value on it, nor should you. It's how you feel inside, and uh, it helps me wake up every day and and get excited about life. For sure, you know, and there's
0: I've talked about this in previous podcasts. I think I was talking to Charlie about it one time. Yeah, you know, this notion of when you when you work in a, in a culture and an environment that is challenging, more, more often than not, you'll see the the sort of the hints of that in places like the coffee machine, the water cooler, you mm-hmm. know, places where people congregate, and oftentimes all you need to do is just listen to what you're hearing amongst coworkers in those common spaces, and it'll tell you a ton about the environment in which those people are operating. So yeah. you know, and what my, my h- hypothesis is when, when I would hear someone say to me, you know what, this is just a job. I'm just going to do what I need to do and I'm going to go home. And that's like those people have had their souls robbed from them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So in those situations where, you know, where you perhaps we're speaking to someone at this very moment who just said, oh, my God, they're talking about me. What how do you how do you how, what can that person do? How, how can they help?
1: Yeah, so um, I was just thinking the, the the name the Soul Robbers would be a great name for a punk rock band. Right, to go see them. Add it to uh, the list. Sl- yeah, so you're talking about advice for um, for folks in, in terms of cultures that's yeah. related to yeah doing good. Right. Um, so I like to say this: nonprofits do not have a monopoly on meaning. it's just important to think about that you know one of the greatest untapped resources of motivation is is the sense of service to others and companies not just individuals and nonprofits, have the privilege and responsibility to get in the driver's seat in that regard so by doing that you you take a big step forward in gaining control of your company's culture um can i give you a, a example or three of this please Okay, these are uh, some things we've done at Brandfuel and some things that I'd love to do at Brandfuel. But uh, I would encourage folks to start up a wellness or an employee generosity committee. And if you're not already doing something, actually create a committee and and kick the effort off slow, maybe with a quarterly activity with a small budget, see how it goes. But this should not be a command and control activity as directed by an owner or manager. I mean, this has to be something that's all about empowering and inspiring um and that's the type of effort you know the empower and inspire versus command and control you know let your staff determine what they want to do and robert and i you know we when we were doing this at Brandfield early on we we were taking a budget and doing what we thought would be good for the people and and we flipped that on its head probably 10 years ago or so and gave a a budget out to folks and and they do what they want to do and and it is so much uh more gratifying for everyone um so doing something like creating the employee generosity committee it's not incumbent upon business owners alone i think it's incumbent upon all of us you know so making change from within as a group is is much more powerful than trying to force it from the top down um so you know if you're just an employee who uh thinks they have no influence You've got to try and lean in and suggest some ideas on how to improve the work culture with the decision makers in your company. And I think it starts with the employees. A couple more ideas. uh, And we give paid time off for employees for volunteer work. Uh, Extend your reach and and I think the outcome ultimately by – Inviting family members to get involved, um, invite your vendors to get involved, and of course your clients. Oh my gosh, you're doing these like give back community and team building experiences. Invite them along for the ride. Um, here's one I um, I read about the other day that I'd love to do at Brandfuel. This is called the Adventure Reimbursement Program, and, and what it does is it uh, it promotes employees doing fulfilling things for them on the company dime where experiences are shared with the staff afterwards. Oh, I um, love it. I yeah, absolutely really, really love cool. it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, another one is, uh, you know, recognize employees who go over and above the call of duty. I think we're, we live in the recognition space and you've got to use promotional products for this. I, I hear Branded Logistics has some great OtterBox branded <laughs> gear out there, a little plug. There's, uh, you know, one of the uh, distributor crushes that I have in the industry is Fairware. Uh, up north in canada they're a b corporation and if you go to b uh you'll find that these types of companies that they measure social and environmental performance uh, accountability and transparency and i think even if you don't become a b corp which is hard we've tried we got close and i hope we revisit that um, you can build some of those things into your business model but you know here, here's a question for you. Do you know what reason almost always trumps income in terms of why an employee stays at a company?
0: Uh, feeling like they're part of something bigger than themselves.
1: Yeah, which is culture, exactly. I mean, right. I, I think that's the connection to culture. So if, if that's the case, this whole culture conversation is really about retention. And, um, and I pulled a couple stats because I knew you were going to ask me some good questions around this. Here are two stats for you. Um, Bain & Company says that each year the average company loses 20%, 20% of its employee base, which is insane. Insane. Um, and then Columbia University found that replacing a lost employee can cost up to 150% of that person's annual salary. So, you know, we need to build altruism and caring into the fabric of our culture and then and then maybe watch employee retention and employee fulfillment soar. Gosh, I, uh, <laughs> I've worked for
0: a number of employers over the years, Danny. And, you know, as again, experience does nothing if it gives you the opportunity to look backwards and measure the differences in what you've seen. And you know, I would tell you that the difference between winning teams and losing teams that I've been a part of has been a culture where the people cared about one another and mm-hmm. what they were doing. And if you don't have it, it It's not necessarily a prohibitor of success, but it is definitely an inhibitor for long term and continued success. And I've seen it time and time and time again. And you look at professional sports franchises, you know, I, I, I harp on this all the time. You know, the majority of the Super Bowls have been won by five organizations and mm-hmm. and it's a reflection of their culture and what it's been able to produce in results in com- in comparison to the other franchises that are all competing for the same prize. So so in that vein my friend I guess the question really becomes then you know we're at, at its root we're we're talking about cause marketing and it, in some ways you know I I believe we might be suggesting that this is where marketing is going to be going forward what do you think?
1: That's a good question. Yeah, so I think you know, this first part of the conversation is, is about like maybe it's cause marketing internally. Now you're talking about cause marketing externally and, and how to you know, breathe life into that, um, into the world with your business. Um, I will say to the first point about uh, internal sort of cause-related stuff, fulfillment and, uh, and, and retention. Uh, I, it amazes me to think that people come to work and they leave generosity at the door like stop doing that shit, like you know, pick that up and take it in with you and, and care a bit about your coworkers. I know you're focused on the almighty dollar and, and, and most, most of us on the sales side are driven by, uh, you know, some sort of commission or bonus structure, uh, but start helping each other out and, and, watch what happens. Um, so, so it's cause marketing, the new marketing. Um, I desperately want it to be, um, you know, and it's, it's definitely happening out there in the world. Um, but wouldn't a corporate commitment to doing more good in, in the world versus just selling more stuff be awesome? Uh, you know, it would just be great. Um, and I have this business fantasy I like to share. Uh, it's it's that philanthropy becomes the future of marketing. And, and if you think about that for a minute, you know, you use your marketing budget for something good and you end up with something more. You know, brands are uh, – you know, increasingly sophisticated with ways to connect to causes these days through marketing. And cause marketing can be that proverbial win-win-win, you know, an easy way for customers to support a mission uh, while generating awareness and funds for a cause. And then, you know, the best part to me is it creates the potential to increase sales for a company, uh, and which is just a great cycle, um, and so we're, we're taught the, the four P's of marketing in business school: you know, price, promotion, product, place, and, and there's a fifth P that I think we need to be talking about. And the fifth P is purpose, you know. And, and there are stats connected to that that uh, you know, purposeful or meaningful brands in the marketplace um, are doing eye-opening things. Um, one of which is that meaningful brands have outperformed the stock market by 206% over the past 10 years. There you go. Yes. And meaningfulness in brand marketing can increase wallet share by up to nine times. And then and then the last one is you know, consumer expectations. I mean, 75% of us expect brands to be you know, making more of a contribution to our well-being and the quality of life, yet only 40% believe brands are actually doing so. So I don't think we really trust brands these days. You know, but when we look at stuff that's out there um, that's working really well. Like you look at the, I think the prime example is this Tom's, you know, one-to-one shoe sure. success. Yeah. Um, you know, but what about in our industry? You know, how can a salesperson leverage the power of cause marketing? What about suppliers? You know, and this is a big question that I, I would love to be standing on a podium at Expo one day, like as a keynote speaker saying, can we reinvent our industry to include a focus on social good? You know, so when you look at examples of that, you know, BIC did it with their Donate Per Order program in support of the nonprofit Wounded Warrior, and, uh, and they ended up pulling in $260,000 for that nonprofit, and it helped with their bottom line. And so here's this idea I've been kicking around with folks. Um, first to be shared on your sales podcast here, Roger. All um, right. Yeah, so what if Sage uh, and ESP identified suppliers on specific products that were connected to giving back in some way yeah you yeah. know wouldn't that be really good or maybe even better than eqp you know could you leverage that um you know buy a pencil and another would be donated to the school of your choice maybe in your zip code program just a neat way of thinking about it um so you find those products out there or or the um or the companies and suppliers that are supporting causes, and you go into the marketplace talking to your clients about how this purchase will actually impact the community in a positive way. So I get the fact that you can click on EQP for search or Made in USA or eco-friendly, but – Maybe there's a button there that says social good or brand good, doing good with your brand. That's a little dream I have. Um, and then, and then I think you know, I'll give you one idea. We're kicking around with Brand Fuel for next year. We have our 20th anniversary. You know, what if we convince our clients uh, to take their $10 budget for trade show giveaways and they put five dollars towards a sports bottle, and then and then they insert a five dollar bill inside the bottle with a note that reads. You know, take this $5 and do something kind in the world with it. You know, recipients of the bottle and the $5 could share what they did in the world is connected to the company's corporate halo. And they could use like a hashtag on social media so they could track it. Uh, of course, that would be, um, you know, fantastic uh, sort of third-party marketing for them and i just think i would get in line at that booth you know would you Roger, Heck get in yeah. line for something like that Heck yeah, yeah exactly yeah you got so, so,
0: my salesman's wheels are spinning as you're talking
1: <laughs> Oh, good good so i mean i think i think if we're honest people care more about causes than they do care about corporate brands so why the hell are we not merging you know these brands with causes Well, often and, i don't get it
0: and to me I, so i look at it from the perspective of if The products that we are selling are in some ways very commoditized, which there's no disputing that there's a myriad of places one might buy the products that we sell that have nothing to do with us being involved in the transaction. So why not then create an environment where the competitive differentiation is the social good piece of buying from us as opposed to on the internet?
1: Yes, man. I hear the cheers. You know,
0: let's do it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about it. So that's energizing to me. You know, that speaks obviously very closely to my purpose. So, uh, you know, it's not hard for you to press that button for me. And what I would say is if you and I represent a buyer persona, why not develop tools and products to speak to that buyer persona? Because here we are. Right. 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 And we're a little bit older of a buyer. We probably have a little bit more money than your average buyer because of where we are in our careers and our ages. And if you speak to us about something that way that requires us to spend a few extra dollars, who's to say that that wouldn't be the case? So I'm, I love it.
1: Yeah. And you don't even need to spend a few extra dollars in some cases. Right. Um, you yeah. know, just repurpose I mean, of some of the way you spend the money for sure. Exactly. I mean, again, you've got a massive marketing budget. You know, maybe maybe consider not spending it on, you know, digital banner ads that people are ad blocking all the time. Sure. You know? Anyway. All right. So final thoughts, my
0: friend. Any any if someone was sort of motivated and energized by this, they're gonna go buy start with why by Simon Sinek. What else should mm. they do?
1: well you know I think I think most of us have it inside us to uh, want to do good and I think most of us are trying to capitalize on that but we're juggling so many things and pressures and and the workplace and at home and all that but I just you know I like to just leave a thought I mean maybe it's more of a sort of a mind sort of head game kind of thing you know when you think about just the simplicity of, of doing good in the world you know don't do it for fear of hell or reward of heaven you know do it because you're just Better not to be an asshole. <laughs> <You know? laughs> just just go do good things. Be kind to people. Help people. The world really needs it right now. The people in the world, I mean, there's a lot of confusion and and struggle and concern. And uh, you know, what is what is this younger generation going to do with this opportunity that's out there? And um and, and I hope that uh you know, I hope that they take advantage of. Of, of putting more kindness in the world. And I think it starts, you know, with you on an individual level.
0: 100%. And I would say, from the parent of three millennials, I am very, um, hopeful and have lots of confidence in their ability to be able to do what I think you and I see as being just a huge need in the world today. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And the good news is, is if we keep continuing to be the beacons of doing it the right way, you know, we will attract folks from that generation that also seek doing things that way. And we just continue to evolve the marketplace and, um, improve this, improve the lot of everyone. It's the whole rising tide raises all ships kind of thing. Right, Danny? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, well done, sir. Uh, I'm super excited. I want to actually go make some sales calls right now. So I'm going to wrap this thing up and thank you again so much for your time. And I look forward to our next discussion, my friend.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Roger.
0: Okay. Till next time.
1: Bye.